Good morning. Thank you for being here. Uh, this is us for this series. Brian just mentioned this, but I just want to say uh, we're having this Next Step Lunch today. If you're new or relatively new and you've never been to a Next Step Lunch, it is really a great time. Lasts a little bit more than an hour. Uh, my wife and I would love to meet you. We tell you the history of grace and we talk about the three things that grace does. It's all we do. We do it over and over and over and over again. And if you're interested in coming, we have room. Just meet me right there at Grace and Five afterwards and we will walk downstairs together. It's a catered meal. I don't cook food in my kitchen and ask you to eat it. <laughs> All right. So um, I sent out this week on text message a, a video clip. If you're not getting it, it's on the back of your bulletin. It's on the screen before you, how you can sign up for that. I absolutely love the karate scene. It's one of my favorite scenes in the entire series of This Is Us. Who could not love it? Who could not love the message that's being driven home in that scene, right? So you've got, uh, you've got Jack and Rebecca, and they take their son Randall to a karate class. So he's, he's a new member of a karate class. And so both parents are there uh, that day. And I guess every time they, a new student signs up for karate class, all the fathers show up of the other kids who are in class because it's all boys in this particular class. They all show up, and all the fathers are called on the mat to sit right beside, behind their sons. And then the instructor says, okay, Jack, I need you to come out here. He comes out there on the mat, stands in front of everybody, says, now I need you to get on the ground like you're getting ready to do a push-up. And he calls Randall, his son, up. He says, Randall. I need you to get on top of your father's back, to lay on your father's back. Then he says to Jack these words. These are very moving words. Jack, your back was built to carry your son through life. Are you willing to hold him up no matter what comes his way? Jack says, yes. That's total commitment. I will be there no matter what. He says, yes. And the instructor says, show me. Starts doing push-ups. One, two, three. He starts getting a little winded after eight or nine push-ups. And so the instructor says, okay, that's enough. You, you can knock it off. And Jack says, what? He saw the clip. Hold up just a second. He wanted to give three or more push-ups. Why? Because he wanted to show that his commitment level to his son was through the roof. Who couldn't love that? Who couldn't love that type of total commitment? If you've ever been around somebody who you knew was with you no matter what, then you know the blessing of that. If you've been around people, and I'm sure you have, who have broken their commitment, you know the pain of, that is associated with that. Commitment is so important. Here's our scripture for the day. It's Romans 12.10. It says, be devoted to one another in love. The word devoted there means to be committed. Be completely committed. Commitment is a value, is a trait to, to be gone after. Because it's so important. It inspires us so much. The single greatest determining factor to you and I having a great life is the quality of our relationships. You can never have a high-quality relationship without commitment. It's never going to happen. That's why the one fill-in-the-blank today is this. Connection is tied to commitment. Always is. Always will be. Connection, a high-quality relationship, a high-quality connection is always tied to commitment. Are you a committed person? Are you a devoted person? You probably are familiar with this phrase. Cross my heart. Hope to die. Do what? Stick a needle in my... I would rather violate the cross of Christ than to break my word to you. That's what that oath is saying. I would rather die than break my word to you. That's what that famous saying is saying. I would rather you plunge a needle into my eye rather than me break my commitment to you. It's really important. We're interested in it. We're very, very interested in that, right? Think about the heroes 
of movies or literature. I was thinking about this the past couple weeks as I was focusing on commitment. You know, you'd be hard-pressed, I couldn't think of a one, but you'd be hard-pressed to find a genuine hero in any kind of literature or movie, whatever it might be, who is not a person of great commitment. Because when they're no longer the person of great, when they break their word, when they break their vows, immediately they go down. They go down in our eyes. No longer do they become... You think about even criminals in movies. Criminals a lot of times are portrayed in a very endearing way as long as they have a code that they live by. As long as the type of criminal, right, criminal, as long as they're the type of criminal that is a person that sticks to their word. What is it about it? You know why? Because commitment inspires us. We want to be people of great commitment. It's deep in us. God put it in us. We have a desire to live that out. And that's what this message is all about today. Lewis Schmid says... Commitment is an island of certainty in an uncertain world. Jesus said it this way, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. Let your yes be yes, let your no be. Be a person of great commitment. He says that in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, put your hand to the plow and don't look back. Once you're in, you're in. Be a committed person. And we want to be committed people, but how can we do that better? And the second video that I sent you out this week, they were having their anniversary. Jack and Rebecca are having their anniversary and some really important words were spoken so he rents the apartment that they had uh, before they had the kids. It was a six-floor walk-up, and she's pregnant with triplets. And so he goes to his father and gets a loan and gets a house so she wouldn't have to walk up six flights of steps. So the apartment's free again, and it's their anniversary. I don't know, it's 16 or 17 or 18 years. I can't remember the number. But they're, they're sitting there, and they're reminiscing, and he pulls out the vows. He had the vows in his pocket, and he read them. What was his vows? What did he say? Rebecca, saying I do means saying I will. You know, we say I will in weddings. I did a wedding not too many years ago. And a couple said, I thought we said I do. No, no, no. I do is I, right now. Like, I do. I love you right now. I don't know if I love you tomorrow, but I do right now. Okay? <laughs> saying I will is something else. Saying I will is in the future. So this is what Jack says. Rebecca, saying I do means saying I will. I will what? I will what? I will, Rebecca, love you today and every day for the rest of my life. And then he closes it out by saying this. Today, in front of everyone here, I pledge myself to you. And we cry in, in weddings and we cry when we watch it on TV, right? We cry. Why does it? Because commitment moves us. Something inside of us, the almighty God placed us inside of us. The image of God says, yes, it's right. Something about commitment is just right. And I want to be that kind of person. G.K. Chesterton wrote a short essay called A Defense of Rash Vows. I have a couple quotes to you. They're, they're all excellent. If you, could, you could read this in less than five minutes, his essay. But he has some great sound bites. He says, The man who makes a vow makes an appointment with himself at some distant time and place. He goes on to say that it is the very nature of love to bind itself. It is so true. When you love somebody, you might have a hard time doing it. You might have not been able to live up to you wanted to, what you wanted to do, but it is a desire for love inside of us. Says, yes, be fully committed, right? There are so many songs, love songs, that I could talk about right now where the lyrics over and over is this whole full-on commitment. Let me just give you one, right? John Legend's song, All of Me. Made a ton of money off that song. All of me loves all of you. I'm totally committed. I don't think he would have made much money if he said, you know, some of me loves some of you. It just doesn't carry the same weight. It's just not as that. It's not that inspiring. Something about that. All of me loves all of you. Some of me loves some of you. Commitment. We know it's right. We long to be people of commitment. 
almost every guy I know, if I have a deep conversation with them, they're like, I want to be that guy. I want to be that guy that's fully devoted. It's inside of us. That sentiment is there. Conversely, when we have people in our lives who break their commitment or we break our commitment, it hurts, it's disappointing, it's painful, it breaks the relationship apart. There's a lot of songs about that too, especially country songs. I want to read you one. (laughs) Taylor Swift's song, Picture to Burn. I hate that stupid old pickup truck you never let me drive. You're a redneck heartbreak who's really bad at lying. So watch me strike a match on all my wasted time. As far as I'm concerned, you're just another picture to burn. There's no time for tears. I'm just sitting here planning my revenge. There's nothing stopping me from going out with all your best friends. And if I'm going to come around saying, if you're going to come around saying sorry to me, my daddy's going to show you just how sorry that you'll be. So, so there's a great inspiration that moves us when people are committed. And, and there's tremendous disappointment and pain and frustration and revenge when somebody is not committed. Commitment is something that is very important in our lives. G.K. Chesterton says later in his essay, he says, when we're not committed, it's the reign of cowards. What a colorful way to put that. Because actually being a committed person takes a tremendous amount of strength and courage. Let me say a disclaimer. Some of you have been in relationships that are broken. Some of you, whether it's a family, some of you it's a marriage or something like that. There are some times when it is in the best interest, when wisdom would, would cry out and say, yes, you need to walk away from this relationship. All right, this message is not about that, but I want to acknowledge that because that's very, this is very, very important. It's very important, okay? That's the commercial break. All right, you know what millennials are doing to the divorce rate in the United States of America? You know what the millennials? The millennials are doing all kinds of stuff in this world, right? Here's another thing that they're doing. Maybe you saw this recent article. They are killing the divorce rate. Like it's plunged. From 2008 to 2016, the divorce rate has plunged 18%. Large part, large part because millennials. Millennials are getting married and they're staying married. That can only be a great thing because commitment can only be a great thing. So thank you, millennials. Thank you, millennials, for doing that very much. Before I transition in this message to talking about how we can strengthen our resolve and commitment, I just want to say this. Sometimes you will hear this. We're going to talk about this in a big way in two weeks from today. Two weeks from today, we'll talk about this in a much fuller way. But for today, I just simply want to say this as the shot across the bow. You will often hear preachers like me, somebody standing up a stage or something at church, or you hear another Christian say this. Are you ready to commit your life to Jesus Christ? Are you ready to commit your life to Jesus Christ? Now, um, here in this room and on Grace Live, many of you people have seen this. We're a church for people who don't go to church. And there's nothing special about us, but there is something a little bit unique about us. Because as much as 40% of the people who engage in our services every week, every week, self-classify as a non-church goer. So we have a lot of people here who have never, ever been to church before in their life. A lot of people haven't been to church in a very, very long time. And it's just this great, you know what? I, couldn't, I could never go back. And most churches, 95% of the people in church are all churched people. So there's something just uniquely different. It's probably because our big welcome mat that we felt like God told us to hang on the front door of this church many years ago in the beginning, that we're a church for people who don't go to church. It's engaging. It's dynamic. It's fantastic. Jesus Christ envisioned creating a church for all people, not some people. It's just, it's just a wonderful thing. So I need to say this. There's a bunch of us right now listening in this room or on Grace Live like, yeah, that's me. I'm not ready to commit to Jesus. I just, I just want to take a sec. Can I take a quick time out and say something here? Romans 12 that we're studying is a snapshot of who Jesus Christ is. 
It's about sacrificial love. That's what I mean. The, the symbol of Christianity is the cross. It's the most recognized symbol on the face of the earth. That is Christianity. Don't get lost in the weeds, okay? Do not get lost in the weeds. Don't be pulled off. What Christianity is about, what the picture of Romans 12 is about, it is about sacrificial love and all the beautiful, wonderful, awesome things that we love that happen as a result of sacrificial love. Somebody who is humble, somebody who is kind, somebody who is caring, somebody who will pray for and bless and even serve people that they don't like, that they would consider their enemies. Somebody who would practice hospitality, who would welcome people. We're like, yes, that type of person. Somebody who would associate with all people, but it all is generated from the sacrificial love that we read about in the book of Romans. It's a picture. So I want to ask you this. Jack Pearson, he's on the ground doing a push-up. He's got his son Randall on his back, and the instructor says, will you be with him no matter what, no matter what comes his way? And we're like, yes. Yes, I want to be that person, or I'm inspired by that, or I find myself a grown man crying, watching that. All right. Who is Jesus? Do you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior? You want to be fully committed to Jesus Christ? No, there's all this stuff, blah, blah. No, 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 no. No, here it is. I've never heard anybody say this to me. You know what? I want no part of somebody who loves me unconditionally. Don't want it. Because there's all these weeds and there's all this fog and there's all this confusion. I want to tell you, here's what Christianity is. Jesus gives it to us so clearly. That's why Romans is so awesome. Sacrificial love. You are on, Jesus says, hop on my back and I will do push-ups until you can't do push-ups anymore. I just will never stop. No matter what comes your way, I will always be committed to you. And if you say, you know what? okay, Okay, all right, John. Now that you explain it that way, of course I want that in my life. I would like to accept that Jesus into my life. That's the Jesus we're talking about. We're not talking about any other kind of Jesus. That's the Jesus. And if you say, you know what? Not only do I want to accept that, I want to follow that. I want to commit my life not only to him, but to actually furthering his cause on this planet. That's the decision, and that's the only decision. So with that being said, maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you're watching a Grace Live. You're like, okay, got it. I'll do it. Sometime in this service today, you know, Jesus, okay, I got it. The fog is cleared away. I understand clearly who you are. It's about the cross. The Bible says I'll boast in the cross and nothing else. It's about the cross. This is what it's about. I want to commit my life to you. Commitment. We will never know what our lives could be until we commit to something. And I want to encourage you that the greatest thing that you could ever commit yourself to is Jesus Christ, pure sacrificial love who is with you no matter what. All right. Let's transition here. Um, I want to talk about here in conclusion about us putting our own devotion in motion. I'm very interested in this. I want to, you want to be people of commitment and resolve. But here's the thing. I make commitments and I say things and then I have a hard time living up to it. So how are there, is there any tools I can put in my tool belt that's going to help me strengthen, like, like prepare me to keep my promises? That's what the rest of this message is about. And there actually are. There are things that we can do, right? So Angela Duckworth wrote a book. She's a Harvard, Oxford, University of Pennsylvania trained, and she, she looks at commitment, what she calls grit. She wrote a, a best-selling book called Grit. She looks at it from a scientific perspective, saying, what does grit get you? 
And how can you actually grow your grit since it's so, it's so incredibly important? And this is what she says. She says, the most successful people in the world are not the most talented people in the world. We think that. We think, oh, well, they're successful because they're just so talented. Well, they might be, but they're probably successful because they're talented and have grit. Or maybe their talent level is not that much, but they have a huge amount of grit. The, the, the children who won the nas- win the National Spelling Bee, you know what they found out from those children who win the National? It's so hard. Who in the world can go all the way with all that pressure and spell those words? right? Who could do that? They're not the kids with the highest IQ. Isn't that fascinating? They're the kids who are the grittiest kids out there. So if you had to choose between talent and grit and commitment, you want to be a person of grit or commitment because the most successful soldiers at West Point were the grittiest soldiers at West Point. The most successful corporate leaders were the most grittiest corporate leaders. The most successful athletes were the grittiest athletes, not the most talented athletes. So commitment issues, and we want to do that. And all I want to say in these five things we're going to do in the remainder of this message, these are five things that she has proven to be true scientifically that will actually help us to be people resolved, because that's what I want to be. Many of us watched that movie years ago that came out, right? Braveheart with Mel, Mel Gibson portraying William Wallace, and he makes this vow, and he's a person of such commitment. You get to the end, and he's on the rack, and they're like, you, we just need you to recant. And if you recant, we're just going to qu- kill you quickly. If not, we're just going to stretch you out. And it's just a gruesome scene. And every guy I know that watches that movie, we say, I wish I could be like William Wallace to be that resolved, to be able to be that devoted, right? Because he's a hero. He's a hero. And he's stretching out like, do you want to, will you recant? And that long pause as he makes, right, that long pause, and all of a sudden he just screams out, freedom. Do you all remember that scene? Freedom. And I just envision myself on that rack. Do you want to recant, John? I'd be, mama. You know, just, I mean, <laughs> I'm afraid, but I want to. I'm afraid, but I want to. I want to. I want to be that man. Every woman I talk to wants to be with a man like that. Okay. Is there anything we can do? Here's five things, all right? The first is passion. You got to be, if you're passionate about something, you're going to be committed to that something. If you're passionate about something, you're going to be resolved. You're going to keep your commitment. So Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan was uber talented and probably the best basketball player to ever play. He was uber talented, but he was super committed. It's legendary. People from Chicago would say, you will never find a more on-fire city than Chicago in the 90s because of the Chicago Bulls. I mean, it was just fantastic what they did. But it was his commitment level. Before a hard, grueling practice, he would wake up at the crack of dawn. He got his teammates to do the same thing. They'd come over to his house, and they'd have a rigorous workout. Hard workout. Then he would go to practice. Then he would stay after practice. And then on game days, what no professional NBA player used to do, he would start lifting before games on game day. Because why? Because he was so committed to winning. So committed. So you can be committed to all kinds of things. It's a lot of things. What I want to try to convince you to be fully committed to more than anything else is committed to great relationships. And here's the reason why. Because it's a huge blessing to you, because it gives you a high quality of life, because you're never going to experience all of the life that you should have, that you should have, until you're committed in relationships. Jesus said, I'm going to sum up the entire word of God to you. So let me give you the whole Bible in a nutshell. Have great relationships. Love God, love others. Research tells us this over and over again. So can I stir your passion up for that? So let me ask you a question. How many people do you think are going to cry at your funeral? How many people are going to cry at your funeral? And if they do cry, why are they going to cry? So I don't know who gets these numbers, but we actually know, at least we think we know, how many people are going to cry at your funeral on average. The average number of people crying at a funeral is 10. 
I don't know how they get this stuff, but it's 10. It's 10. But we do know this. The reason they're going to cry is not your accomplishments. They're going to cry because of your commitment to them. What I did in preparation for today's sermon is I just read. I've had it, I've had it sitting there waiting to read for, I think, a year now. But I read the book, When Breath Becomes Air. Fantastic book. Nominated for a Pulitzer Prize. New York Times bestseller. Fantastic book. Neurosurgeon, Dr. Paul Calanthe, diagnosed with lung cancer in his mid-30s. And he was, he was so, so uber-talented, just incredibly uber-talented diagnosed and he pretty much chronicles the last two years of his life dies his wife finishes the book out it just becomes this just huge it's it's really deeply moving and you know why it's so deeply moving because he had a lot of deep relationships if he didn't have high quality relationships you might as well not write the book because it's not fascinating and that becomes so clear as they talk about the friends that surrounded him during this whole time as he's headed towards death, a terminal illness. It's about our relationships. If you want to be passionate about something, be passionate about relationships. Can I stir you up to do that? Here's the second one. Practice. Practice. Are you willing to work hard at the daily things, the mundane, nitty-gritty daily things that will lead you towards a greater resolve? Okay, I'll tell you a story. So um, Krista, my wife, has over the past number of years, decade or so, um, actually she did younger when we were just starting to get married too, but sporadically, but in the last decade has really started to run a lot. And she said, you know, John, in the beginning when I was running, it was a chore. And if I got it, you know, if I ran two or three times a week or whatever, that was good. But when I decided to like, you know, no, I'm going to do this, even though I don't like it, even though it feels a lot like work, I'm just going to get out there and run, run, run. She's, you know, after doing that for a couple months running, I can't stand to miss a day of running. I love to run. I'm fully committed to running. I experienced the same thing with basketball. I played basketball my whole life. Uh, every day I played in that gym right down here at TJ. So I spent so many hours down in that gym playing basketball. And then I got to the time in my life when I, sh- you know, I stopped playing. And it was more like I shouldn't be playing because it looked ugly. You know what I'm saying? I, 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 so I, I, had, I, had, I had to give it up. And I just always thought, because I've, I've, I've always worked out, I've always played basketball, that I would simply do that. And immediately I'd go to the gym. And I didn't. Because I wasn't committed to working out. I was only committed to basketball. And finally one day I said, you know what, i got to do this. And so I pushed, 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 pushed. I did the daily grind, grind, grind until finally resolve start. Do you know what I'm saying? You can work your way to the right things and relationships in your life. You can work your way. It's hard. It's hard work, but you can do it. If you want to strengthen your commitment to Christ, they say there's three things. They're just daily practices. There's a regular practice or routines in your life. You go to church, a church that focuses on Christ. You serve somehow that church and you get to know people like through a group. That's it. That's it. The research is amazing. They're daily. But John, there's so many other things. I know, but it's the daily practice that actually strengthens that commitment. There is a book written. I actually uh, was reading about it. It was either USA Today or Washington Post did a piece about the greatest kind of marriage books that have been written in America. Didn't matter if they were Christian or secular, right? So they did this thing and they talked about what was in each one and they finally got to the five love languages. And some of you have probably read the five love languages. And they said this from a secular perspective. They said, hey, anybody who writes a book on relationships or love in America has to stop at the five love languages and talk to Dr. Gary Chapman because he has sold so many more books than anybody else. Like here's the best-selling books and here's the five love languages. It's way at the top. And what is it about? 
It's about all of us experience love in five different ways, and this is a calling to us to study people we're in relationships with, in this case marriage, but any relationship, to study the other people and to do the hard work of loving them the way that they feel loved. And by default, I tell this to all the premarital couples we talk to, by default, I love my wife the way I feel loved because that's easy. But the hard work is to love her the way she feels loved, and that's what Chapman's calling to us to in this book. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to do that? Um, one of the things I, I asked Krista, I said, how can I love you better after realizing this? And here's the thing about Krista is that if, if she was a character in Winnie the Pooh, she'd be Tigger. You know, Tigger, the bouncing all over. She's full of energy. She's happy. She's always happy. She's always positive. She's always bouncing. And she tells me, I don't believe this, and it's kind of hurtful, but she says, if I was a character in Winnie the Pooh, I'd be Eeyore. Eeyore. <laughs> Now, I don't think that's accurate. But anyway, she says, when you come home at the end of the day, she says, when you come home, this is how you love me better. When you come home at the end of the day, get happy. You know what I'm saying? Give me, give me, give me joy. Give me a smile. Give me energy like you're thrilled to see me for the first 30 seconds. Just do that. And I pull in the garage. This is hard. This, didn't come, this is hard work. But this is what's going to make me be a person of more resolve. This is, this is what happens. So I come and do that. And, of course, we always have the discussion about the dog, right? And she's, I say to her, why do you greet the dog so well? She goes, every time I walk in, the dog greets me so well, right? So all I have to do is outdo that dog. That's it. That's what, that's what I'm after. The, these are practice. Okay, how about friends? How about friends? Forget marriage for a second. How about friends? How about, how about do you take the time to connect with you? I know it's hard. I know you don't have time. I know it falls off your radar. But are you connecting? Are you saying something? Are you following up with them in some way whatsoever? You have to do that. It builds your connection. It builds your commitment to them. One of the things that we do in the community group that I am in, can you believe it? So we meet from roughly 7 to 9 o'clock. But for, but for 45 minutes sometimes we pray. We pray. We go. It, t- it takes so long. And sometimes I think, oh, man, we, maybe we should stop doing this. This takes such a 45 minutes of our time. We go around the table. Each guy says whatever, blah, 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 and the guy next to him prays. But we do that. You know why? Because throughout the week, there's phone calls and there's text messages and there are emails and there's follow-up. Hey, how you doing with that? Is, that? is that okay? And that daily practice has caused us to have a bond. And we say this, if we get anything right, we get prayer right. You know why? Because it's causing us to be committed to the group. We had a guy that was in our group. He's in Milan. He's in Milan this week. And he said, I sat in front of the picture of the Last Supper and I prayed for each one of you. Send us an email. That's commitment. That's connection. It's a daily practice. Okay, number three, purpose. A purpose is something that is far greater than yourself. If you want to be a person, Duckworth says, of greater resolve, greater commitment, keeping your promise, right? If you want to do that, then you need to see that you have a higher purpose that even goes beyond you. And she tells a story. She says, you know, if you had three bricklayers and you say to them, what are you guys doing? And the first bricklayer says, you know what? I'm laying bricks. Second bricklayer says, you know what? I'm laying bricks to build a church. And the third bricklayer says, I am building a house for God. It has to go beyond you. Here's what you need to know first and foremost. God definitely has a purpose for your life. There's no doubt about it. He's got a great purpose, but it doesn't end with you. You're not the Dead Sea. It's going to flow out of you. It's not only going to be a huge, wonderful thing for you, but it's going to flow out. It's got to be a higher purpose. So there's a guy in the Bible. His name was Elijah, famous prophet, famous prophet, Elijah. God says, I need you to call Elisha. I know it's confusing because the names are so close. Elijah with a J and Elisha, S-H-A, right? I need you to call this young guy Elisha and tell him I need him to serve a higher purpose. I need to serve the pe- him to serve the people in this country. 
So Elijah goes to him and he throws his, his mantle over him, calling him to serve. And we're told that Elisha was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. Why, what, what does that matter to us? What do we care? You know what that means is? It means he was very, very wealthy. He had a lot of opportunity to do a lot of different things. We live in a world where you, this is the land of options. You have so many things that you could do this morning. And you're probably thinking, why aren't I there doing them? But, you know, we have so many options. We have so many options. And so here you have a guy, Elisha, who has a lot of options. It's not like this is the only thing you can do. He says, will you serve a higher purpose? You have a higher purpose. There is something for you. Focus on that. And it will help you to be a person of greater resolve. Fourth thing is hope. I know it would have been awesome if I would have thought a P word with hope, but... Uh, you got peas and then you have hope, okay? This isn't just kind of any hope. This isn't like, oh, man, I hope tomorrow's better. Yeah, the sun will come out tomorrow. No, no, that's not the kind of hope that Duckworth is talking about here. That's not the kind of hope that actually helps us be people resolved. Here's the kind of hope. Here's what gritty hope is. Gritty hope is going and actually saying to somebody, you know, today wasn't so great or today was mediocre or today was bad. How do you think I could do better tomorrow? Gritty Hope actually seeks feedback and says, what can I do to improve myself? And it wants to know those areas of improvement. It actually seeks them out. I realized this a number of years ago. And when Chris and I would go out on dates, I always, I, for the try to remember, not always, I'm overshooting a little bit. I try to remember to do this. I say, how are we doing? I look her in the eye. How are we doing? And the second question is, how can I love you better? What can I do? What do you need me to change? Give me some feedback. Where am I falling short? How can I, right? Because that type of feedback leads us to being people of greater, greater commitment. All right? Final one is people. Who do you surround yourself with? Look, you can surround yourself with all kinds of people, but you're going to need some people around you in your life who are gritty, committed people. What Duckworth says is this, is that beliefs and values and behaviors spread like a virus to other people. She calls it emotional contagion, right? We are emotionally contagious to other people. She talks about a study where she brought, they brought in uh, two people into a room. They stared at each other. They could not speak. They could just look at each other. One of the persons sitting in the chair here would be somebody who walked in the room with a really, really negative attitude. At the end of five minutes, the other person that they just stared at, that they didn't say anything to, they just stared at, found themselves feeling far more negative when they walked out. How you like, how, how you like this one? She found, they said, she cites a study. She said that if, if you have somebody in your life that you're really close with and they are gaining a lot of weight, you have a 57% chance of gaining weight in your own life. If you're gaining weight today, it's not your fault, I want to tell you. It's not your fault. It's your friend's fault. You need to get better friends. Converse is probably true, right? That if you have friends that are losing weight, well, that's probably what's going to happen to you. But it's the people around you. Are you surrounded with gritty people in your life? Peter. I want to end by talking about Peter, this leader of the disciples of Jesus Christ. This guy, he was just so all over the place in his life. 
Early on in his life, he lacked, he wanted to be a committed person. He wanted to be Mel Gibson laying on the rack screaming freedom, but he just, he fell way short. He wanted to be. He said to Jesus the night before Jesus was betrayed, he says, look, all these other guys, they don't have any backbone, Jesus. All your other disciples, but me right here, all by myself, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'll never walk away from you. Less than 24 hours later, he's like cussing and screaming at people saying he doesn't even know who Jesus is. He wanted to be that guy, but he wasn't that guy. How did he become that guy? Because at the very end of his life, he had total, absolute, unwavering commitment to Jesus Christ. What was the big change? There was a number of things that exist in his life, all five of them we just mentioned, right? First of all, he had a passion. You know Jesus talked about this all the time. Relationship, relation, love God, love... He didn't just say that one time. He didn't, he didn't lift up the value and the passion to have for relationship just once. Jesus did it often. How about practice? Practice. He said, he said, he said to Peter, he says, look, I need you to feed my sheep. What's more daily and mundane than that? I need you to feed my sheep. Purpose. Hey, Peter... I'm going to build my church and the very gates of hell cannot stand against it. All the terrible things that we think about in this world, all that stuff will not be able to stand against what I am building and I want you to be a part of it. That's purpose. Hope. We see in that scene where Jesus tells Peter to feed, we see Peter is going to Jesus. Like he's seeking that feedback himself on how he can do better. And finally, people. Peter was surrounded by people of tremendous grit, very gritty people. Those disciples, they, they were shallow. But by the time you get to the end of their lives, you see that no matter what, no matter what opposition, no matter people said, we're going to throw you in jail, no matter what, they would not give up. Are you surrounding yourself with at least some people, with some people who have that level of commitment and resolve? It will affect your life. It will spread to you like a very good virus. And it will help you be a person of greater commitment. And you will become the person that you know you really have always wanted to be. We will never experience all that God has for us until we're willing to commit to something, to someone, before, before we will ever find out all that God has for us. So I encourage you today, with all my heart, to commit yourself and to be people of growing commitment in these five areas. Now, next week. That's what I want to talk about. Your best friend tomorrow might be somebody that you can't stand today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for everybody that's in this room. We know we want to be people of growing commitment because so, so much in literature, so much in movies and stories, they, we're just moved deeply by it. Even in this series, This Is Us, we're greatly moved by the commitment that Jack has to his family, his wife, to Randall. It's amazing. Help us, Lord, to grow in our resolve. In Christ's name, amen.